I know that you have something on social media, something that represents you, something that shows the world who you are, and something that lets the world kind of look in to you, and that's your profile picture. And some of you on your profile picture, you may have a selfie. Some people love selfies. You may have a professional photo. You may have uh, something that you asked the stranger at the beach to take of your family when everyone had on khakis and a white shirt, because <laughs> that happens, right? Um, and the reason that we do that is because we want to present ourselves the best that we know how to the world. When we do that, we want people to look in and to see and think the best about us. And the reason why is because there, there was a study done about LinkedIn, the uh, professional network. And statistics show that employers and, and different people would spend more time looking at your profile picture than they actually would looking at your resume. It projects a lot. And you don't want a bad profile picture on there, do you? You definitely don't. You don't want one with you with bedhead when you just woke up. That's, that's not good. That's not fun. For the more seasoned people in the group, uh, you don't want your 1985 to 1990 glamour shot with the, with the blue jean collar popped up because if you had a glamour shot, everybody had that done, didn't they? But there, there are those things that we have in life that we try to make people see and think the best about us. We want them to know and hear the best about us. And especially when it comes to dating. A lot of times relationships these days start online. They start uh, sometimes on social media. And that might be the first way that you see someone. If you're set up on a blind date, you might look them up on Facebook or you look them up on Instagram. You want to see what they look like and you want to project the best. But what we do is we, we see that and think from our society that if we, as a person, if we project anything less than perfection, if we project anything that says that we have flaws, that says that we mess up, or that says that we are broken, to us it means that we're unlovable and that people leave. As a society, we have a jaded and we have a broken and sometimes cynical view of love. And in a world where marriages inside and outside of the church break up, in a world where we think that if we are not our best, our person that we're in a relationship in will leave that our spouse will leave. In a world where everyone is seeking perfection and we see a broken picture of love, there is a love that never leaves. And that's what we're going to talk about tonight. If you're here and you have that broken, cynical, jaded thoughts about love, about relationships, or about God... I want to tell you tonight that God has a love that will never leave you. It doesn't matter what you look like, what you do. He wants and he takes your brokenness. 
He takes the things about you that you think are imperfections and he can use those for his glory. So tonight, as we're looking in, turn over to Psalm 118. Psalm 118. And sandwiched between here, the shortest psalm and the longest psalm is Psalm 118. And this is the last of what's called the Egyptian Hillel. This was saying at festivals um, and what has been saying at the Feast of the Tabernacles. And it's probably the last thing that Jesus sang when he was on his way to the cross before he went to the garden. So what we're going to do is first we're going to read verses 1 through 4. And we're going to skip over and we're going to go to verse 29. Now that might seem odd to you, but it'll all come together in a second. I promise. And the way this was written is it's kind of like a responsive reading where there would be an orator that would say something and the crowd would respond. So that's how we're going to do this tonight. Okay? So if you have your Bible open, um, I encourage you, Psalm 118, I'm going to read the first section and then you guys are going to respond in the next section. All right? It says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. Let Israel say, Let the house of Aaron say, Let those who fear the Lord say, Now verse 29, Oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. That was weak, but it was okay. We'll, we'll take that for time purposes. We'll take that. But what this is here is uh, called an inclusio. And that's just a device of scripture where it acts as a bracket. And that bracket is going to tell us what that section of scripture is about and the meaning of that. Everything inside those verses is going to relate to what is in that inclusio. So clearly here, it's the steadfast love of the Lord. And as we look at that, why is that important to you? Because just as we talked about a second ago, in our society, we don't know about love. We, we know about broken homes. We know about broken relationships. We know about people leaving us, whether it, it could be a parent, it could be a spouse, it could be some sort of brokenness that's happened in your life. We don't know words like loyal and faithful and committed and devoted and dedicated. Those are things that are somewhat foreign, especially to the younger generation. So there might be some of you here tonight, and that is you, and that's your story, and you've had someone leave you. But what the psalmist is showing us here is that the God of the Bible, he has an immovable love for you. It's not going to change, and it's not going to waver. It's not moving up or down. It's not a roller coaster or a wave. It's consistent and steady. And it doesn't depend on how you look on your bank account. It doesn't depend on how faithful you are. In 2 Timothy 2.13, it says, If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. So tonight I want to ask you a, a question that I want you to think about through this sermon. And that is, how have you seen the steadfast love of God in your life? How have you seen that? Has it been financial? Has it been medical? Has it been him moving you from darkness to light through his son Jesus? How have you seen the love of God in your life? 
And the steadfast love he's talking about gives us confidence. And this confidence is what we're going to see here in the rest of these verses. Confidence that runs all through Scripture in his people. All through Scripture. He comes to Abram and he tells him to leave, to go to a land that he's never seen and start moving. And he does it. He comes to Noah. He tells him to start building an ark that was going to take him over a hundred years. And he does it. And all through scripture, there's a confidence in the steadfast love of the Lord that's going to come through for his people. So let's dig in. There's three things that we're going to see that his steadfast love gives us. There's three things we can have confidence because of. The first thing we can have confidence in is you can have confidence in crisis. For this, we're looking at verses 5 through 13. So let's turn there. It says, beginning in verse 5, Psalm 118, Out of my distress, I called on the Lord. The Lord answered me and set me free. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? The Lord is on my side as my helper. I shall look in triumph on those who hate me. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in men. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. All nations surround me. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. They surrounded me, surrounded me on every side. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. They surrounded me like bees. They went out like a fire among thorns. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. I was pushed hard so that I was falling but the Lord helped me. Now, if we, if we look through this and we think in this passage, in these verses from 5 to 13, if you noticed, every verse has the Lord in it. The Lord. That's his formal name. When we think of God, we think of power. The power in crisis. And to, say, to see how these people can say this we have to go back and we have to look at the context of how this was written and where it was written. So we have to start in the time of David and we got to go through where it's written. We know that King David was a good king who reigned for, for 40 years. He was a worshiper. He led the people. He, he showed them how to come into worship. He led them there. It was a, it was a great time for the nation of Israel. But his, Solomon, his son, takes over and it was a great time for Israel also. He was given the task by God of building the temple, and he did that. But in the later part of his life, he began to kind of go astray. He married women that he wasn't supposed to. He began to build altars to the gods that they were worshiping. And then his son comes into power. When his son comes into power, God looks at the situation, and there's a time where it's a time of, of discipline. For Israel. And at the end of that, because of this, because God has to discipline that sin, He course corrects His people and they're split into really two nations the ten tribes in the north that become the nation of Israel. And the nation of Israel, He, he takes them away. For the next 150 to 200 years, they have no godly kings. And because of this, at the end of that time, the Assyrians come in and they just take them over. They take them out. 
and they moved people in that land. Solomon's son kept two tribes, and that's the nation of Judah. Over the next 300 years, it's kind of a seesaw back and forth. Godly kings, ungodly kings. The people would follow God, then they would not follow God. And through that, we see at the end, they end up in captivity. They end up uh, in Babylon, taken away, taken out of their homeland, captives of where they were. So when God sends them into captivity, it's his discipline, and he's judging his people. And, and during their last rebellion, when they're in captivity for 70 years, over that 70 years, the hearts of the people begin to change. And they long to go back, to have it the way it was before. And we see that God allows a leader to come in. His name was Ezra. He comes in and he helps to rebuild the temple. We see another leader come in. His name is Nehemiah, and he helps rebuild the walls of the city. And that is where we open up and we look into tonight. Where these people have been captives. They've been taken away from all that they knew, from their homeland, and they're being able to return. Things are being restored, and they have hope. So when you look at them saying, the Lord has done this for me, I was surrounded. I was surrounded like bees, which means they're everywhere. They know what that means. And as we look at that, I think one of the easy things for us to do is in the Psalms, put ourselves in that. The Psalms are very easy to do that with. And as we look at this, we, when we come to him, just like they wrote, they said that they were in distress. Let's look at some of the words they used. They used distress. The psalmist uses fear, surrounded, pushed hard, about to fall. Isn't that the way that we come to God? We don't ever come to God and, and accept Christ going, I'm so good and I'm just feeling so good. I think I'm just going to accept Jesus today because of how good I am. No, that's not what we do. We come in our addiction we come in our brokenness. We come in our abuse that may have been done to us. We come in our sin. We might feel surrounded. And we come to the Lord in crisis. And what do you need when you're falling? That's the last image they use, falling. What do you need when you're falling? You need a hand to help you up. I want you to remember that. We're going to come back to that in a second. It's hard to feel confident and it's hard to feel that God has steadfast love for you whenever your spouse walks out on you or whenever your parents walk out on you or whenever your fiance leaves or you're in a financial situation, you don't feel that steadfast love. But in the crisis, you can have confidence. Psalm 35, 7 reads, Weeping may endure for the night, but joy comes in the morning. See, the reason they can write this is because God is pursuing you. There's a reason that you're here tonight. It was a beautiful day today, wasn't it? It was. You could have been anywhere today, but you are here. God is pursuing you. Whether you're Christian here, whether you're non-Christian here, God is constantly in pursuit of you. You don't believe me? 
Yesterday morning, I was listening to K-Love. Now I'm faithful to 106.92, but I got a long commute, so I got to switch it up. All right. But uh, I was listening to K-Love and this lady calls in. She calls K-Love, but she meant to call a country station. And when she was calling, she, she calls and she's wanting to request a song. And they said, well, ma'am, this is not that station. So she says, oh, I'm, I'm sorry. And she almost hangs up. And they said, no, ma'am, usually we find when this happens, it, there's a reason for it. God has a reason for it. And they said, ma'am, what's going on in your life? Is there anything that we can pray for you about? And the line went silent. And then they heard weeping. And she said, I was calling the country station to request a song for my 16-year-old son who passed away last month. And I was crying out to God last night because I'm at a place where I don't know what to do and I feel alone. God is pursuing you wherever you are in whatever situation that you're in. Not only can you be confident in crisis, but you can also be confident in God's victory. Let's look at 14 through 18 here. It says, The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. Glad songs of salvation are in the tents of the righteous. The right hand of the Lord has done valiantly. The right hand of the Lord exalts. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. I shall not die, but I shall live and recount the deeds of the Lord. Listen to this. The Lord has disciplined me severely, but he has not given me over to death. As we look at verse 14, I want you to think about one thing. Think about Exodus 15 verse 2. It reads this way. The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. As we look in Exodus there, the Israelites have just escaped Egypt. And as they're coming, Pharaoh's army has come behind them and decided, no, actually, we've let them leave, but no, we're going to go, we're going to go pursue them. And so the Red Sea is parted, but when they come, we know that the Red Sea crashes back down and they step on the other side. And this is what they say. Now we know the Israelites didn't do that. We know Moses didn't do that. God's victory. You need to be confident of God's victory in your life because that takes the Lord's strength. And when you think about strength, as we talked about earlier, we saw the hand. And the hand implies power, the right hand of the Lord. In John 10, 29, it says, No one is able to snatch you out of my Father's hand. The right hand of God, he's our helper because he has an enduring love for you. And all throughout Scripture, we see the steadfast love poured out on his people and they have confidence in him. People who come from families that are broken, people who come from sinful situations, people who he is pursuing, they have to trust that steadfast love of God. 
And he, came, he comes down and he touches their heart and he touches their situation. And God can come down with his right hand in your life and in your situation, whatever you walked in here with tonight. God can come down and touch you. Remember I said when you're falling, just the, the imagery they use of falling. If you're falling, what do you need to get up? You need a hand to help you up. We see God's hand here. And with a touch of his hand, he can pick us up and bring us out, just like he did the Israelites in the context of this passage. Or he can take that hand and he can discipline us. I remember my dad, my dad was a short guy, but he had really big hands and he was strong. And I remember as a kid, I was deathly afraid of heights. Okay, as an adult, I'm deathly afraid of heights too. But... I was deathly afraid of heights. And I remember we would go somewhere, and if I, if I would go like up four flights of stairs, I would get so terrified, I would just get down in a little ball, and I would close my eyes and start crying. I couldn't go any farther. I couldn't do it. Hotels, hospitals, elevators, that was bad news. But I always remember in that situation, my dad would come and pick me up, and take me safely wherever I was going. And I'll instantly calm down. But there were also times that I remember I was disobeying or I wasn't listening. And he took those same hands and disciplined me. That's not always fun. But verse 18 says, The Lord has disciplined me severely but he has not given me over to death. You see, the same hand that delivers is the same hand that disciplines. Because of that steadfast love, he will do what's best for you, but it's not always easy. Crawford Loritz puts it this way. He's a pretty well-known pastor down in Georgia, and he tells a story of being a kid in the late 1950s hanging out at his community pool and he decides to do a trick this summer he's he's going to do a flip into the pool but he's not going to do it on the diving board he's going to do it off the side of the concrete pool so he's a young kid he decides to do this and as he flips when he flips he doesn't go quite as far as he should and he hits his chin over the concrete side of the pool and it just splits open. He's in distress, blood's everywhere. His dad comes and picks him up. As I said, this is the late 50s. And he said where he was living at that time, there was no anesthetic that they could give him because he was going to have to get stitches. He said, I remember the doctor looking at my dad. And he looks my dad in the eye and he says, you might want to hold him down. And he said, I know my dad would never, ever hurt me. I know that my dad loves me. But he had to hold me down to fix me. And sometimes in our life, God has to hold us down to fix us. It's not always easy. It's not always fun. 
but it's the only way. Not only can we have confidence in crisis, not, not only can we have confidence in God's victory, but a, the third and final point, you can have confidence in your everyday life. Let's look at verses 22 through 25. Beginning in 22, it says, The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Save us, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, give us success. And as we look at that, and we, we think and we, we look at verse 24, this is the day the Lord has made. That's hard to think of it that way when you're going through a hard time, when you're struggling, when you're in the middle of some sort of guilt or shame or overwhelming situation. It's hard to think of it that way. Have you ever thought about what day they're talking about? Because I know some of you probably have that verse like on a pillow on your couch or a coffee mug or something. But have you ever thought what day are they talking about? What day? Well, as we just read there in verse 22, it says, The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. And let's look at Matthew chapter 21, verse 9, which says, no, sorry, Matthew 21, verse 42. It says, Jesus said to them, have you never read the scriptures? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. From Matthew, Jesus himself. And then let's look at at verse 24, when he says, this is the day the Lord has made. And he goes on into 25. And in 25, it says, save us, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, give us success. And in that same chapter in Matthew chapter 21, verse 9, it says, and the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. See, as we get into the end of this, we see that this day is about the day that God will take the chief cornerstone and he will bring salvation to all the world for all eternity. And that day has happened through Christ dying on the cross for each one of us in here. That is the day that they're talking about. That is why they can rejoice. And that is why we can sing and we can rejoice here tonight. See, every day can be different with Christ. It doesn't have to be the same as it was. See, God's concerned about how you walked in here, but he's much more concerned about how you leave. God is personal He never leaves you. He has a steadfast love for you. He is pursuing you. God being personal, sometimes we think of God as a a big God who is away from us. 
and doesn't want to come down here and get involved in our day-to-day activities, in what's bothering us, in what kept you up last night. We think he's not involved in that. He's got bigger stuff to take care of. But there's a book called When God Winks at You. And in that book, it tells the story of a lady named Mavis Jackson. She lived in Orange County, California. And she drove by the, the Crystal Cathedral every day for 20 years. And she, she always said, I want to go to church there Sunday. I'm going to go to church there Sunday. And after 20 years, she decides to go one day. She walks in. She's amazed at how the sanctuary looks. She loves the thousands of people worshiping with her. She loves to hear the choir sing. And after the service, she's just so overwhelmed. She looks at the young girl sitting beside her. And she says, I'm so glad I came today, aren't you? And that young girl, she, she just kind of nods. She says, yeah, yeah. And she says, are you from here? Mavis asked her, are you from here? She says, no, I'm, I'm here. I'm actually on a mission. She said, I, I just got here. I'm from the Midwest, and I'm here looking for my mother. She says, that's been something that's been on my heart for a long time. People told me it's never going to happen, and, and I just got a lead that maybe she's in Orange County. And Mavis looks at her and says, well, you know, I, I, I know what you're, you're going through. She said, when I was younger, I had to give up my child, too. And the young lady looks at her and says, when was her birthday? And she says, October 30th. And the young lady goes, that's my birthday. And they strike up a conversation. And this remarkable story shows how one young lady, thinking that her life is out of control, she doesn't have an identity, she doesn't have a mom. She doesn't know who she is or where she's going, but she's on a mission and she's searching for something. And Hollywood could not write that any better. But the God of the universe cares about the small details of your life. If he can take two random people and put them in a pew beside each other, he's got your problems, folks. The question is, will you trust him to take those? Will you trust him this week? Some of us trust him with our eternity, but we don't trust him with our today. God cares about you. He's pursuing you. In a world where we think we have the control, in a world where we're looking, you're looking for love, you're looking for acceptance, God's steadfast love is there for you. So how do we react tonight? Whether you are a non-Christian here and you say, I don't know Jesus, that's a good idea, that's a cool story. But tonight, God's brought you here for a reason. He's pursuing you. He's letting you hear the gospel. Or whether you're a Christian here and maybe you're just off track. Not really where you need to be. You want to say, I put my trust back in you. Either way, the way that you respond 
If you leave here with nothing else tonight, I want you to leave here with this. This is what we say to God in response to that steadfast love. We say this. Jesus, you can have my whole heart for my whole life. My whole heart for my whole life. God's concerned about how you walk out of here, folks. What are you going to put your confidence in? Let's pray. God, thank you so much for this time that we spent. We thank you for that day. That day when you brought us salvation. That day when you raised your son from the grave so that we can worship here, God, and we can be set free. Lord, we are so thankful for that. And Lord, we pray, God, forgive us where we failed you this week. We mess up daily. God, sometimes we we sin and we don't even know we're sinning. God, sometimes we willfully sin and forgive us of that. Father, I just want to pray right now that you will work in hearts, that you will work in lives. And Lord, you will lead people to you. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for pursuing us. In Jesus' strong name we pray.